2 Peter 3, 7. Uh, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking far and hastening to the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. May we pray. Our Father, I thank you for the Word of God, and I thank you for another privilege to preach your Word. Lord, you, you've been good to us, and I thank you for that. Thank you for the great salvation that you have so wonderfully provided. Now, Lord, I pray you'd help me to preach tonight. Give me wisdom and power, and may I be an instrument in your hand. Lord, that I may bring honor and glory to the name of the Lord. Bless our time together. Give us wisdom and help me to rightly divide the word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As I said, I'm preaching on the end of the world. And when we talk about the end of the world, most people associate this with the destruction of the earth by fire. And every time they see this term in the Bible, they think it's referring to that. But I like for us to look at this in the Scripture and see how it is used in different ways. Of course, the world uh, is used to refer to the habitable earth, the earth in, upon which we live. Psalm 50 verse 12 said, For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. He's talking about the earth. The world is mine and the fullness thereof. Also in Psalm 90 and verse number 2, Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thy art God. Here again it's associated with the creation of the earth. And then in the book of Romans in chapter number 10, and verse number 18, But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. Again, he's talking about the earth, uh, the habitable earth, as again, Psalm 50, 12, The world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Talking about the earth. But then the Bible also uses this term in relation to the world of humanity. The first it is used to refer to the earth. Then it is used to refer to the world of humanity or to refer to mankind. In John 1, verse 9 and 10, I know I'm turning quickly to these scriptures. We'll slow down here in a little bit 
John 1, verse 9 and 10, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He's talking about people. The world knew him not. He's not talking about the earth, as he did in the other scriptures. He's talking about the world of humanity. Of course, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The world of humanity. Now, some people are all tied up in, uh, we call them tree huggers, these new age people that are uh, worshiping everything. They think everything's God and God's everything. And, and they confuse when the Lord said, God so loved the world. He's talking about people, mankind, the world of humanity. And then in John 15, verse 18 and 19, says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Again, he's talking about the world of humanity. He's not talking about the world of trees and rocks and grass and sky. That, that doesn't hate me. He's talking about the world of humanity. The world hates you, mankind. And then the Bible also in 1 John 2 you may want to turn there, or you can just listen in 1 John, just a couple of pages over, page 13, 22. 1 John 2, verse 15 and through 17, we have the world used about this world system. In verse 15 of 1 John 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. Here he has in mind the world system, this evil world system. He said, don't love these things of the world. He's not talking about the habitable earth are the world of humanity, but the world, this evil world system, don't be led astray into this system of evil, this world, uh, worldliness it's referred to. Now, the end of the world that I read to you, and Peter there, uh, as it is used throughout the scripture, it is not always talking about the destruction of the earth by fire. But we see it used back in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. 2 Peter 2, 5. And spare not the old world, but save Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now here he's talking about, of course, the flood and, and uh, the flood that destroyed the ungodly. Notice he spared not the old world, but brought the flood. And then in 2 Peter 3, 6, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Now the world here is cosmos, the 
a world of humanity. He said the world perished. Well, the earth did not perish. It was covered with water, right? We're living on the same earth with some profound changes brought about by the flood, but we're living on the same earth that God created in Genesis 1.1. The Bible said the earth abideth forever. But he says there in our scripture, the world perished, the world that then was. But again, the, the, the word is the word used for humanity. And we know that's true, right? The world of humanity in the days of Noah, those eight on the ark were saved, and the rest of the world of humanity perished in the flood, in the water. And that's what he's talking about. So it was the end of the world. Uh, but it was not the end of the earth. And not, not that that is spoken of by the destruction by fire. But it is, uh, was used in that way. And, and again, you have to read the scripture in the context in which it is given. You know where most of these cults come from and people get off in left field on doctrine and and uh, they say, well, the Bible says this, and the Bible does say that, but uh, it does not say it in the way in which they're interpreting it. Now, the world did not perish in Noah's day. Anybody believe that? I mean, I drove on the world, I drove on this earth to church tonight. And I don't think I'm hallucinating. I think that, that uh, I'm, I'm seeing reality that the earth is still here. And I don't think uh, people disagree with that. So he has to be talking about the world of humanity perishing. Now also the term is used when Christ came and died. And let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 page 1299, Hebrews chapter 9, and uh, verse, uh, we'll begin reading with verse 24. Verse 24, Hebrews 9, page 1299, said, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, talking about the tabernacle, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed to men once to die, but after this the judgment so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The phrase I want you to see, verse 26, Now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, did the, did the world end when Christ died? What in the world is he talking about? He said, well, it says in the end of the world he appeared to put away sin. Is that a true statement? It is a true statement. But the earth did not end. But if you take it in, well, of course, what he's talking about, he's referring there in the language to, to an age or a dispensation. And that's what Romans 10, 4 says, that Christ is the end of the law. 
Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, the dispensation of the law was ended, and the end of the world under the dispensation of law ended when he died on that cross. I'm not under the law. Christ fulfilled the law. The ceremonial law is finished. The moral law is still applicable, is still in force. In other words, it is still wrong to kill. It's still wrong to steal. It's still wrong to commit adultery. It's still wrong to lie. That has not changed. But we're not under, we don't have to bring a lamb and kill it and offer its blood. We don't have to observe the special feast. We don't observe the Sabbath day. Ain't nobody observing the Sabbath day, even those that say you have to keep it to go to heaven. None of them's keeping it. Read the requirements for the Sabbath day. None of them keep the Sabbath. Uh, we, we come together on the Lord's day, the first day of the week. And under the Sabbath, they worked six days and rested the seventh. We rest the first day and work the other the rest of the week. The, the, of course, it's, it's grace and then works. And that's the difference. Now, but we see it used, and again, it is used in referring to the dispensation of the law. That's what he's talking about. He cannot be talking about the earth, a habitable earth, because it's still here. He cannot be talking about the world of humanity because we're still here. He's talking about the, the world, the dispensation of the law, and that's what he's referring to. Now, we have in 1 Corinthians 10, we'll turn there, 1 Corinthians 10, and we see how it is used again in a similar way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And he gives, uh, gives the example there of, uh, of uh, the, nation, the nation of Israel. And, uh, well, let me just read it. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant that how that all their fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, did all eat the same spiritual meat, did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Well, was Christ in the Old Testament? Sounded to me like it was. That rock was Christ. With many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Sounds like our day, doesn't it? Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these happened unto them for examples, and they're written for air admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Again, he's talking about a dispensation, because... The world is not going to end in our lifetime as far as the term is understood. People are talking about, I think the end of the world is near. Well, it depends what you mean by that. If you think the end of the earth is near, then you're wrong. 
end of the earth is not near. Now the rapture could be, before I could get my next word out, the rapture could happen any minute. This disposition of the grace of God upon whom the ends of the world, upon whom these, these, uh, these last ages are coming to pass, the disposition of law, the disposition of grace, and you have the kingdom. But, but we're near the end of, of God's plan with man upon this earth. Uh, but the, the end of the earth is at least a thousand seven years away if Jesus came tonight. The end of the world is not near as it refers to the habitable earth. The end of the disposition, the end of the world in referring to the disposition of grace is near. I believe that. And the coming of the Lord is, could be any time. So the church age, it refers to the church age in this scripture here. These are written for our admonition, that's us. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. He's not talking about the end of the earth of rocks and trees and whatever. He's talking about the church age. Now, Matthew, Matthew 13, Matthew 13. And uh, we'll see it, uh, we'll see it uh, used again here in Matthew 13 and uh, verse uh, 24. He talks about verse 24 through 30. He talks about uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a man sowing good seed and, and while, he, uh, while he sleeps, uh, an enemy comes and sows tares. Looks like wheat, but then it grows up and he realizes it's not really wheat, counterfeit. And uh, we, I want you to see the interpretation beginning in verse 36 of Matthew 13. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. His disciples came unto him, saying, Declaring us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed of the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one, an enemy that sowed them as the devil. Their harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore the tares are gathered, burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend them which do iniquity. Shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be well in a nation of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the son of the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now what follows this? The kingdom of their father. Is he talking about the end of the habitable earth? Talking about what we read in 2 Peter 3? No. He's talking about the world that, uh, that, that when Christ comes in his revelation and judges the nations. You remember the message on the judgment of the nations? When he separates the sheep from the goats, or in this case the wheat from the tares, he's talking about the same thing. And, and uh, of course that will end uh, the tribulation period and, and, and God's people will go into the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And in the context, we see that very clearly. Now, uh, in Matthew 24, uh, well, verse 47 through 51 there, you can read that and, and it talks about uh, the good, good and bad vessels and so forth there, but uh, saying the same thing in Matthew 24, and, and I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 24, 
and verse number 3. You know, the problem is that, uh, that people, the, if you ask the average person that is not regular in church, I mean, they just, they, they uh, listen to a little radio preaching or TV preaching, they go to church once in a while, and they picked up a little bits and pieces, and they, grandma told them this, and some preacher told them something else, and they heard this and that and the other, and and, and if you say, what do you think about the end of time? What do you think about the end of the world? They say, I think it's close. <laughs> Even lost people sometimes will tell you that. And what they believe is, they say, well, the end of time's coming. Everybody's going to be raised from the dead and all the good people's going to heaven all the bad people's going to hell and earth will be destroyed. And, and they put it all together and they, as if it all happens at one time. And it's clear, anybody that studies the Scripture, you just can't fit it in. It just won't fit. Uh, Revelation, when you've got a thousand years between the two resurrections, you can't have everything happening at one time without t cutting that Scripture out and throwing it away because uh, it's right in there and God's very clear about it. Now, in Matthew 24 and verse 3, and he said, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? That was one of the questions. Now he answers that for them. And uh, verse 13, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. I challenge anyone to apply that to us. Taken in the context of the question and the answer, in the context of what Jesus is talking about, that has nothing to do with the church saints. That's talking about tribulation saints. And he's not talking about being saved to go to heaven. He's talking about those that are saved to go into the millennial reign of Christ. In the context. Also, the next verse, but for in this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. All the end of the world? Well, if you read on, that don't end it. Uh, there's a whole lot of other stuff happens after. You can go right on down the, through the chapter. A lot of other stuff takes place. But he said the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. And the end of the end of the heaven of the earth? No, that's not what he's talking about. Again, in the context, he's talking about the end of the tribulation period. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world by 144,000 Jews, Revelation 7, Revelation 14. And you read about it there in the Word of God. Uh, and uh, uh, that uh, they preach the gospel of the kingdom. The, the message that Jesus Christ is coming back to set up his kingdom, you better get saved. What are we preaching? We're preaching Jesus Christ is coming in the clouds of heaven to take us out of this world. We're not saying the Lord's coming to set up His kingdom. Well, we are saying that, but that's not the next event, is it? Next event's the rapture. Seven years later, He comes back to set up His kingdom. And the focus, the focus of, of their message will be the same as what John the Baptist preached. What did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The disciples says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The question is, was it a bona fide offer that Jesus made to Israel? And my answer is, and I believe the Bible answer is, yes. But he knew he was going to Calvary. He knew they would reject him. If they had received him, would he have given them a kingdom? I believe he would. 
Of course, we know God knows everything, and He knew He knew all that. As I said, the mind of God, the uh, the foreknowledge of God knows everything. But uh, uh, you know, it's another message to get into. He talks about they asked about John the Baptist. Is this Elijah? And basically, the Lord, you know, asked John the Baptist, "You're Elijah?" He said, "No." And yet the scripture would indicate had they received him that uh, he would have fulfilled that prophecy. Yet the Lord knew that they would not receive him. And uh, again, that's a little beyond my ability to comprehend, but I just take it as it is. Now, uh, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the tribulation, and then shall the end come. The end of the tribulation, not the end of the habitable earth that we read about in Second Peter. Now, verse 31, of course, on down uh, of this chapter, he talks about uh, uh, the regathering of Israel there. And uh, then he talks about the parable of the fig tree, a picture of Israel. And, and uh, of course, the illustration of Noah. We'll not take time to go into all the details of this. Uh, the illustration of Noah and uh, how it was and how it will be and how it's a type of, of, of uh, the, 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 the uh, days as we approach the rapture and the type of the, of, the, of the coming kingdom of the tribulation, in reality, the signs are given in relation to this coming of Christ to set up his kingdom. The signs are not given in relation to the rapture. Now, we look at the signs. And we say, well, if these signs are going to be signs of the coming of the Lord seven years from now, and we see certain things happening, we believe the rapture must really be closed. Friends, talking about the mark of the beast. Do you realize that it is technologically uh, feasible, it's possible to give the mark of the beast tonight? The technology is there. And for, for a long time, I thought I had it figured out. And, you know, you kind of look at technology as it is at the time. And you say, well, uh, you know, remember when they, had, they started the barcode thing and, and people said, you know, they put that barcode on your forehead or in your hand. That'd be kind of strange running around with the barcodes stamped across your head. It'd be, I think it'd be a little hard to get people to submit to that. And yet the Bible said they receive a mark in, not on. It's amazing how every word of God's important in How every little bitty word. That's why, that's why God says, I don't want you messing with my words. That one little word, in. You read it, First uh, Revelation 13. They receive a mark in, not on. They receive a mark in the right hand or in their forehead. It's planted on the skin. Now, now they've got that, they say a little chip that'll go through the eye of a needle. A little chip you won't even notice. And they put that thing under there, under that skin. And they find they got all the information they need on you. You can't, you won't be able to do nothing without it. And uh, Brother Marlowe gave me a tape of a fellow that, that, that was in computer engineering and helped develop that very thing, the chip. <laughs> well, anyway. How did I get off on that? We're talking about the coming of the Lord. I'm talking about the signs relating, relating to the tribulation period. You know why, you know why, the, why everybody's not lined up 
requiring it, the, the implementation of that, the implanting of that, because there's a God in heaven that's still running the show, whether he's recognized or not. And 2 Thessalonians says that only he who letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. As long as the Holy Spirit of God's in this world, he's going to restrain evil until it's time. And that's why I know the rapture hadn't taken place yet. But it's just a matter, if the rapture took place tonight, those things would, it's amazing how quickly things would move. And uh, I believe the rapture is going to shake this society. It may be the very trigger that, uh, that brings about many of the things that are predicted in the scripture. Well, that's another message, getting all that. But when Christ comes in Revelation and judges the nations, and you can read about it, the rest of it there in, in that chapter talking about the tribulation period, we see the term, uh, the end uh, of, of, of the world used there. Now, finally, we have it used uh, uh, here in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, and the scripture that I read to you, verse 7 through 12, we talked about that some last week, uh, the coming of the Lord. And he says, The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works of therein shall be burned up. They'll be seeing then all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening in the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So the habitable earth, this earth is going to burn up. It's going to melt with fervent heat. The heavens are going to be on fire and this thing is going to be consumed. Will the earth perish forever? No. Because the earth abideth forever, but it will be totally destroyed. But he says God has a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. You know, there's no hope for this earth. It is so corrupt and so polluted until God basically has given up on it. And even after a thousand years, he's going to renew it, I believe, in the millennium. But even after a thousand years of Jesus Christ himself on the throne, it will be turned over to destruction. And we read about that new heaven and the new earth in Revelation 21 and 22. Let me just briefly, before I close, give you an outline of the book of Revelation. Of course, the key of Revelation, understanding it is Revelation 1, I believe it's 19, write the things which thou hast seen, chapter 1. The things which are, chapter 2 and 3, the church. The things which shall be hereafter, chapter 4 through 22. The Bible is its own interpreter. You can read it there. And, of course, you have the church age ending with chapter 3. Chapter 4 and 5, you have the rapture and the scene, heavenly scenes there in those chapters. Chapter 6 through 18, you have the tribulation period lasting for seven years. Daniel 9, divided into three parts of three and a half years each the last part being called the Great Tribulation, at which time the Antichrist declares himself to be God and demands to be worshipped. 
and nobody can buy or sell without the mark. You read about that in Revelation. Anyway, the tribulation, chapter 6 through 18. Chapter 19 of the book of Revelation is the revelation of Christ. Chapter 4 is the rapture. Chapter 19 at the end of the tribulation is the revelation when he comes to set up his kingdom and the battle of Armageddon, the final conflict, uh, the, uh, the great war that, that will devastate this earth. Uh, and uh, atomic weapons, will they ever be used? I believe they will. Will God need them? Why would God need an atomic weapon? Did he need an atomic weapon when he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? Will man use them against others? No doubt. Scripture that would tend to indicate that certainly. And, uh, but in uh, Revelation 19, you have, of course, we talked about that in the past, the revelation of Christ in the battle of Armageddon. Revelation 20, you have the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, for the life of me, I can't understand how you can just, just flat out deny the millennium. Millennium means just a thousand years, what, what the word means. Just a big word means a thousand years. And it's, it's so clear. It's so clear there in the Scripture. Uh, the rest of the day to live not again until a thousand years are finished. This is the first resurrection, verse 5 of chapter 20. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such a second death, hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Revelation 5 says we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 1 talks about we shall reign on the earth for a thousand years. It's right there. Revelation 20, 11 through 15, we talked the last couple of weeks about the white throne judgment of God and verse 11 says, The earth, and, and, and I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now it is clear, there's when you have the earth destroyed. At the time of the white throne judgment of God. It's right there, uh, in, written out in black and white in verse 11. Now in Revelation 21 and 22, you have the new heaven and the new earth and no more sea <coughs> and the new Jerusalem. And he describes that glorious new Jerusalem. Gates of pearl, walls of jasper. Many believe he's talking about diamond. <laughs> Can you imagine? Gold so pure is transparent. Gates of pearl, walls of jasper. Foundations are the most precious stones that is known to man. And uh, the river of life and the tree of life. And he talks about this eternal home. I can't imagine. There's a lot of disagreement among Bible teachers about, uh, maybe we'll talk about that in another message, but about the New Jerusalem. It's basically 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles wide, long and high. Do you have any idea how, how far 1,500 miles is? If you started out driving 1,500 miles, how long would it take you? Huh. It 
take you a while, wasn't it? 1,500 miles is a long way. They say it's, a water, it's about 3,000 miles across the United States. If you set this city down on the United States, it would cover half or more of the land area. This is the city. Man. What a big place that God's prepared. The new Jerusalem, the eternal home of the child of God. 1,500 miles each way. 1,500 miles high. The transparent city of God. We're going to get to live there. <laughs> Man, I love these two chapters, our eternal home. And uh, this, is, this is our hope. Well, again, we'll maybe talk about that in another message in a little more detail. But we have the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And you know something? We have the end of time. Because there'll be no point in counting time when it goes on forever. <laughs> and we, we go on forever and ever and ever. Uh, and that's going to be something. Well, 2 Peter 3, 13, Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. You know, some of the old folks talk about the days gone by when you didn't have to lock your door at night. I can remember even when you, when you went somewhere, a lot of time you just left the door open and locked the house. I can remember growing up and people in the community come to see you. They never even knocked. They just walked in. <laughs> Do that now. Someone may shoot you. Well, the land wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's going to be great. And verse 14 says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Well, we'll live right, shouldn't we? We're not living right to get there. We're going through Christ. We'll live right so others will have confidence in us. And they'll, want, they'll believe what we tell them. And they'll want to go. And they'll know that when God does a work in a man's heart, he changes his life. I believe that. I believe that. I'm, I'm a grace preacher. I believe it's total grace. The people that try to use that as an excuse for sin and say, well, I'm saved by grace and I can, I can live any way I please, I don't believe they're saved. I believe if God saves a man, he'll never be the same. Doesn't mean he's perfect. Doesn't mean he, he never falls but he's changed. <laughs> he's changed. Aspire heads, please.